This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope you're well. Welcome along again. I'm combining two issues in one episode here, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm going to be taking a look back at the Lionesses' recent games against the USA and the Czech Republic. I'll be chatting with Dom Smith from englandfootball.org. All about those games very soon. But before that, I want to cover the recent 2024 European Championships qualifying draw that took place on Sunday the 9th of October. As I've mentioned before, I get stupidly excited about draws, be it the World Cup, the Euros or even the Nations League. It's when you find out where you are going following England in the next 12 months. Hopefully, new countries, new cities to explore and experience. So, just like many, I was sat watching UEFA TV. Having seen the pots and all the possibilities, I was hoping for maybe, I don't know, a trip to Portugal, Albania, Georgia, Latvia. Alas, it wasn't to be. Once all the chat, the music and dancing had finished, we were drawn in a five-team group alongside Italy, Ukraine, North Macedonia and Malta. And with the greatest of respect for each of those countries, it's a draw that really didn't inspire me. Although, in its defence, it does have some interesting subplots. Let me explain why. Italy. Beautiful country. Can't knock it. Food, the weather, the general atmosphere. I've been a fair few times now. But on the footballing front, we've met them regularly of late and come off worst, which is quite frustrating. That said, it is another couple of opportunities to try and put that right. But then there's the whole location venue issue. We played them last month in Milan in the Nations League when the venue, I think, was only announced a couple of months beforehand. Then there's the names on tickets scenario, which provided you are a travel club member, absolutely fine, but it just creates a lot more noise all about it. They will be tough, Italy, we know that full well. Perhaps we can grab a point away and beat them at Wembley, hopefully. Um, But yeah, of all the teams to have gotten out of pot one, Italy, they weren't high on my list. Then there was Ukraine. What can you say about Ukraine? Everyone knows what they're going through at the moment. And despite all of that, they still remain a strong side. They're a side that we met on the way to the Euro finals with our only away game of that campaign. You may remember that was a game that we won 4-0 in Rome. And obviously, because of the ongoing conflict there, the chances are this game is going to be played in Poland. 
And I'm only basing that on the fact that they played Scotland in Krakow and the Republic of Ireland and Armenia in Lodz. I think that's how you pronounce it, L-O-D-Z. North Macedonia. Interesting one, this. I've never been to North Macedonia. It's a landlocked country that is north of Greece and surrounded by Albania, Kosovo, Serbia and Bulgaria. We've only played them four times before. We've won two and we've drawn two. I can get behind this game and I'm looking forward to a trip to Skopje. Uh, It looks a decent stadium too. And I mentioned the subplots. Of course, it was North Macedonia who put Italy out of qualifying for the World Cup. And then there's Malta. I can't get excited about that one. It seems a strange thing to say, given that I've not been before. Probably because it's never been a destination I've given much thought to. It is a small island south of Sicily. We played there back in a World Cup qualifier in 2017. It was a game I didn't go to because from what I can remember, it was the the costs to get to. Um, And I know that many made a sort of a, a week, five, seven days holiday out of it and fair play to them for that. But I'm just not able to do that myself. So... That one might just be a a sport ops jobby um, for me, for Malta. And with regards to grounds, Macedonia, as I mentioned, uh, will be in their national stadium, the Toze Prozeki Arena, or the Philip II Arena, as it's also known as. Malta will be in their national stadium, the Talcali Stadium. I think I've pronounced that right. Ukraine, as I've mentioned, will likely be in Poland. We'll have to wait on that front. And Italy, well, personally, I'd hope it's not in Milan again, as much as I enjoyed the the San Siro experience recently. Uh, But as a national side, they do like to move around the country. Recent venues have included Cesena, Bologna, Palermo, Rome, Turin and Florence. So take your pick. It really could be anywhere. But once that draw was made, UEFA, being UEFA that they are, uh, later in the day announced the fixture dates, then quickly retracted them, citing an issue with them, leaving many fans panicking that flights they had booked were no longer suitable. Fortunately, they then announced that England's fixtures were as they were originally scheduled for. I never actually got to the bottom of what the actual problem was. But those fixtures for ourselves are Italy away on the 23rd of March. And these are all for next year, 2023. Home to Ukraine on the 26th of March. Malta away, 16th of June. Home to North Macedonia, 19th of June. Ukraine away 9th of September, home to Italy 17th of October, home to Malta 17th of November and then finally away to North Macedonia on the 20th of November. Now the 2024 European Championships are being held in Germany and I'd like to think that we can get there through this group, finishing first or second. If we finish third then we will have had problems. 
But given that three teams can still qualify from the playoffs after finishing third, I'm fairly confident we can still look forward to a summer in Germany in 2024. And as it's a five-team group, it's safe to say we'll be playing a couple of friendly fixtures next year, and I'm guessing those will be sometime in September and October. There we go. Got that off my chest. I've said enough on the uh, the draw. Let's move on to the Lionesses. I'd like to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast, Dom Smith. Hello again, Dom. Hi there. You all right? Yeah, very good. Yourself? Yes, all good. Thank you. Did I see you were working in a press capacity for the USA game? Yes, I was. I was in the press box for the USA game. Sadly, my my tra- travel logistics meant that I couldn't be at the Amex for um, for the England-Czech Republic game. But I think I picked the right game to go to, to be fair. And I, I did watch the Czech game, although I'll never get those minutes of my life back, I suppose. <laughs> well, well, we'll get on to that game very soon. Uh, but let's start with the, the America game. Builders... European champions against the world champions. I mean, this is a game that everyone was itching to uh, to be scheduled. And when it came round, everyone was itching to be there. It was a, a sellout uh, and it lived up to it, I think, didn't it? Yeah, it was, a, it was a brilliant tussle, I thought. In terms of the context, you couldn't really have written a better context if you'd tried. I mean, not only were these the, the world champions and the European champions finally clashing while they, they have those titles, but also England came into the game with 22 matches unbeaten. The USA, just one less, yeah. 21 matches unbeaten. And uh, England came into the game 14 wins in a row. The USA just won fewer, 13 wins in a row. So England just won ahead on both of those, but pretty much almost exactly the same. So form, it's funny, you know, we look at the England form under under Wiegmann and and England lost their two immediate games before Wiegmann came in. That was under Hegerisa. And since Wiegmann's come in, it's just been basically loads of wins and the odd draw. Um, Unbeaten, of course. Um, Yeah. But while because that's been the case, you know the press and and uh, and the public as well, you know, watch more of England than they do the states, and they assume that because of how good England have been, the USA must be in worse form. But but not true. No. You know, they always seem to, to to turn it on the USA. And then again, I think I think some people were quite surprised by the fact that England's form, which couldn't really be better, was actually only level with the states and not not really better. So it. it yeah, it was a really interesting tussle in that in that regard. And when they did play, you could just see how much kind of better these two teams are than a lot of the rest of the teams in the world at the moment. I mean, England haven't played against a team for a long while who are able to use the flanks, the wings, as well as they themselves are. Sophia Smith, I thought, was was comfortably man of the match, despite being on the losing side. Um, and it was only a 20th cap. And she started on the left wing and she she was afforded an absolute, you know, field of room to run into. In, in I think it was 54 seconds in that she got a yes. shot off. Right, right the way from the left, um, from sort of left of the halfway line, all the way in, kept moving more centrally. No one closed her down. And that, and England were lucky that that her shot was um was was lame because really I think that was a reminder of just remember the calibre of the opposition you're playing. You know, this isn't going to be an easy stroll. Um and Credit to England because 
it wasn't an easy stroll and they still got the result. It was, yeah, it was. And this was without Alessia Russo as well, who who was uh, pulled out injured shortly before the game. So, and you talk about players out on the flanks, Lauren Hemp, who has often been used out on the wing there, came in as a striker and, and opened the scoring. Well, a lot of people, I think, expected or, or, or maybe even wanted Rachel Daly to be given her final uh, her chance up front because, yeah. of course, she, she was so prolific in the States for the Houston Dash for many years. She's moved to Villa this summer. That She's their marquee signing of the summer. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant signing for Villa um, because England could, might be able to see her as a bit of a squad player, but that doesn't mean that she's not capable in her own right. She's a fabulous player and she scored some, some really important goals for Villa and I think they're sat in fourth at, um, at the moment. Um, they've had a great start to the season. But no, um, Hemp was chosen as a... She wasn't even chosen as a false nine. She was just played as an out-and-out forward, despite her sort of smaller frame. But she got her goal. It doesn't. I think she did have a good game. It doesn't really matter if, she, if you have a good game, if you, if you play as a striker and you score. And she did. Just kind of squirmed it under the goalkeeper. And England were into the lead early on as well. I think it was the ninth minute. Now this this came... Um, courtesy of a uh, a lovely little nutmeg through Megan Rapino's legs. I, I can't even remember who who done it now, but it those was, that it was Stanway. I remember I remember remarking on that. It was there was close attention on Stanway from um, from Megan um, Rapino and also the captain uh, of the US, um, Lindsay Horan, who I who I spoke to earlier in the week about this this kind of dis- disgusting stuff that's come out in the United States yes. this report about sexual abuse. So I, I went up to the United States training camp and spoke to them about that. But but yeah, Horan, you know, was desperate in that interview towards the end when speaking to the media to get onto football because, you know, it's, uh, she's a slight, slightly younger player, is experienced, but, you know, she's there to play football. The, these, the, the argument is that these players don't necessarily have to be a, a voice or they, they, they shouldn't necessarily have to be a, um, a voice for, for sort of political concerns. And so, you know, her attention turned to football, but Stanway's attention turned to outdoing them both and uh, managed to wriggle through the, um, both of them and, and, and set Mead on the way who crossed early for the goal. So, yeah, it was, it. it was a wonderful piece of skill. And Stanway, to be fair, since moving to Bayern Munich in the summer for that, that big fee, I think she's been brilliant. She, she just is brilliant, isn't she? Oh, absolutely. And, and scored the penalty to, to win the game. Yeah, and she's becoming quite, quite prolific in terms of penalties, isn't she? I think, I think England maybe had one or two penalties through the Euros and you just knew that every time she steps up, she's going to score. She hits them with real, real conviction. Maybe not into the top corners um, quite like like Harry Kane of the men's team, but um, it doesn't matter. If you, if you find the corner, it doesn't matter which corner you found. As, as long as it goes in, that's all that matters. It was a game, though, slightly disrupted by, by VAR. A couple of issues there where um, a penalty was given for America and then then removed which which was a little bit a little bit shambolic really when you when I saw the replay I mean I had to see the replay unfortunately where I was sitting I was row 19 right up the top behind one goal so I was no way of of actually seeing it but yeah it, that kind of not spoilt it but it's it's something that really needs to be um addressed again I, I always refer mm. back to VAR well the thing with VAR is the USA will say that they they're unlucky in that three important decisions in the game went against them on VAR, but actually that's not England's fault, no. um, and it's not actually the the VAR's fault. You know, the VAR is there to correct the clear and obviously wrong, and they were clear and obviously wrong. The offside was tight, but it's still offside. So, yes. so actually, 
I think VAR intervention was took too long in the game, but it was ultimately correct on all three counts. And and I don't say that because I wanted England to win. I say that because I've, I've seen the you know the three decisions and they were wrong. I mean that handball call is one of the worst I've ever seen. Absolutely dreadful refereeing. Absolutely agree. Yeah, very strange how to get something like that so wrong. Um, well. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. Going forward, hopefully it can uh, it can only get better. But it was a uh, it was a great evening, great crowd, great atmosphere, and I think obviously the game was was important. But I think there really needs to be an acknowledgement of those former lionesses, those former England women players who who paraded around the pitch before or mentioned before the game, paraded around at half time. Going back to that 1972 game, I think it was it was a really nice recognition finally um, from the FA to to acknowledge those ladies. Absolutely, and I I actually spoke to three of them because they were a lot of them were invited to train um, uh, to, to watch training. <laughs> they weren't invited to train invited <laughs> to watch England training last week as they got ready for these two games. And um, I spoke to three of them, um, including Linda Hale and Sue Wyatt, who they were, just, they were just so kind of bowled over that they've been given this access. It's almost a bit of a shame, really. It's been allowed to get to this point where they're, they're stunned that they're allowed to see the England team. I mean, they are ex-players as much yeah. as as much as someone like like Ian Wright or, or Alex Scott or, or or Karen Carney are ex-players. That it's just, it, maybe they maybe a few of them won fewer caps, but but actually a lot of that is out of their control because of the ban on women's football. So I think it was lovely that they were included. And uh I, th- I think it was I don't I think it was Linda, Linda Hale, who who actually said when I was speaking to her that that she felt a little bit hard done by when some of them were invited to that Wembley a few years ago when when England lost 2-1 to Germany at Wembley in 2019 because some of them were brought on at half time and allowed to parade the pitch but not go on it but not actually recognized on the tannoy system kind of not not introduced um and she was hoping that it would be a bigger event and it was i think they had a really good day out well two good days out because they got to see England train and they got to go to the game itself and um, the, the cherry on top, of course, is that England won and and ended the USA's unbeaten run and extended yeah. their own. Yeah, well, just mentioning Linda Hale there, a little plug to a, a forthcoming podcast um, I've got. I, too, have spoken with with Linda Hale about that very first game between England and Scotland in 1972, which is a, a special that I've got coming up in November. Well, I, I should I should say now that I that I genuinely didn't know that was coming out because otherwise it sounds like a kind of crass, you know, pre-planned plug, doesn't it? But, but <laughs> I just didn't know you were going to say that. So fair play to you. Great minds, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to the the Czech Republic game now. Initially, that that America game, you think, wow, we've beaten the Americans. We we've probably learn quite a bit about ourselves or the girls have learned a bit about themselves that they've been able to to beat them would they learn so much against the czech republic and lo and behold by the uh, the scoreline and nil nil and only the second nil nil under serena weidman i think they probably learned more than they actually realized they were going to do against them well serena actually said in in her press conference afterwards that we 
no, I'm paraphrasing. These aren't these aren't direct mm. quotes, but basically, we could have picked to play anyone in these friendlies, but we wanted to test ourselves um, and play against difficult teams. And actually, I think there's a recognition in that actually the Czech Republic are one of the most physical sides in the world um, in terms of what they are, you know, what you come face to face with when you play them. I mean, in the last year, they've held both the United States and the Netherlands to draws. So that shows the calibre of the team, at least defensively. And I was prepared for much of the same. Uh, and I didn't really think about whether England would get over the line in the end. I, I suppose I probably blindly assumed, like, like many people, that they would because yeah. they keep it's, it's kind of like Manchester City when, when Haaland plays. You, you're always going to back them, aren't you? Um, but actually, I thought the Czech Republic played really well. Their goalkeeper, Lushakova, uh, was was really good. Yeah, England were thwarted, basically. Wiegmann says she she doesn't feel England created as many chances as they, as they could have. I actually think that's a massive compliment to quite how well England have played and quite how good a job she's done, because I thought England had plenty of chances. I thought, you know, when I look back at the match highlights now, I can think of five, six, seven, eight chances that England had. So if she feels that they weren't creating enough, that's a compliment to quite how well they've played in previous games. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, the breakthrough didn't come few nice moments. Obviously, Lauren James um, was given her, her first start. She's obviously a fantastic player. Wiegmann said she doesn't think she's seen a, a more exciting player for a good long time. If that comes from a, a double European Championship winning manager, then you you tend to take that as credit, mm-hmm, don't you? Yeah. Um, Esme Morgan came on for her debut um, off the bench. Ebony Salmon came, uh, came off the bench for her second cap. So... You know, muddled amongst some some very experienced players, some so, some nice minutes for for younger players. Lucy Bronze, of course, was the was the real talking point. Um, starting on England's right flank, hundredth cap for her, and I absolutely thought she was terrific. She played so well. I thought she was pretty much the man of the match, and um, you know that that's not just because it's a it's a handy headline. I th- I really do think she was out, she was outstanding. She. You know, she's popping up on the left. She 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 almost assisted Chloe Kelly, who who, who headed just wide yeah. on the left. On the right, she was flicking the ball with a nutmeg through to to Alex Greenwood with a nice pass. She she was getting barged off the ball and then going back for seconds. Yeah, a brilliant physical display and technical display from her. She was asked in the week actually whether whether she thinks that. It, Although the WSL is is booming now, whether she'd recommend that other lionesses and and, and lioness hopefuls experience football in in foreign leagues and and football in different cultures, and she said absolutely, and she was reciting. Obviously, she's at Barcelona now, but but she used to be at, um, at Lyon, of course, and she was reciting what she's what she achieved in Lyon, and she said, and while I was there, I became the best player in the world. And she didn't she didn't laugh or smile. She 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 genuinely means that. Uh, and to be fair, she did because she won the FIFA best best player award in, in 2020. True. So yeah. um not just a, a kind of blind piece of self-credit. And if she's not the best player in the world anymore, she's she's still mightily close and she was fantastic all night. There was a, a little commentary on ITV. Um the commentator's name escapes me now, but it's said that she Sort of looks up to Marta of Brazil, who went on oh, to that play. Was, that, was, that was Seb Seb Hutchinson. That's wasn't it? it. Yeah, who uh, Marta of Brazil went on to play until she was what forty three, forty four, and yeah, I, th- I think she was on about four mega actually, which was one oh. of Mar- Marta's teammates. Marta did play for a, for a phenomenally long time as well, but yeah, it was it was four mega who played. Till she was 40. quite right, excellent player, excellent. Yeah. 
And, and you can almost see Lucy Bronze. Oh, I'm sure she wouldn't, but she's certainly got it in her to win another 50 caps to her name. Yeah, well, actually, she was joking about that as well. Serena Vigman, there, there were rumours this week that she signed a new contract. Her current contract is till 2024, uh, 2025. Um, the rumours were basically about, um, you know, a new contract would obviously mean yeah. more money, especially um, in lieu of her winning the Euros. She basically said, no, I haven't got a new contract. I feel very valued as it is. And with 2025 in mind, um, <laughs> on the Formiga question, Lucy Bronze said, you know, was asked, how long can you play for? And she said, well, till Serena stops playing me in 2025. So, <laughs> um, so I think she has intentions to stay playing for England for, for a good long while. And I'm not seeing any, any other kind of immediate rivals to her right back berth at the moment. I think she's got that position on lockdown for years to come. Yeah, certainly think so. Uh, well, those two games are in the past now. We'll just quickly look ahead to the this November friendlies against Japan and Norway. Uh, they're being played over in Spain. Obviously, Norway, we we beat them considerably during the Euros, 8-0. Certainly won't be a game like that again. But Japan, like Czech Republic, are another different opposition to what we're, we're used to seeing the Lionesses play and possibly a, another hard opponent. Well, certainly a better opposition than the Czech Republic. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't want to comment on whether they've got a better defence than the Czech Republic, which is kind of what the Czechs have based their game on, mm. um, quite rightly. Um, but certainly, the J- Japan are seen as a very technical player. Lots of their players have played in the WSL over the years, and and they're former World Cup finalists, and I believe former World Cup winners. So um, certainly, two two pe- uh, sides of real pedigree. Even though Norway collapsed against England, ironically enough where England were playing the, the other night um, at the Amex in Brighton. <clears throat> yeah, that was a dizzying night. I remember that. I, you know, I don't think people could quite keep up with what was happening. Beth Mead is, is easily her best performance of the Euros. And, you know, she put in some pretty impressive ones. Yeah, it won't be the same again, but two, two definitely two games to look forward to. And it's being billed as a mini tournament as well. So, yeah. so I think they'll be, um, well, I, th- I think so. And it sort of. And it, a little sort round of, robin. Yeah, kind of. Um, I, th- I, th- I certainly think they'll care more about how they do in February, I believe it is, when they play the Arnold Clark Cup again, which is scheduled to take place again. I, I assume in England, I have no, I see no reason why it wouldn't be in England again. Um, and I don't know about the opponents of that. But certainly to end their year off playing to playing sides of, of the calibre of Norway and Japan, the thing is with Wiegmann is that she brings that kind of air of real competitive edge. England aren't going to be organising friendlies with poor nations because what's the point? Exactly. You, know, um, you don't learn from that. Uh, and, I, and I think England are right to challenge themselves, especially as they look. I mean, they've won, they've won it. They've literally won the European Championships. They are the, Euro- the European champions. So where you can go from now, it's not really up. It's more sort of staying on there. And that's harder. You know, it's, it's harder to stay there once you're there. And the World Cup is... Is closer than we think. So, yeah, looking forward to those two. And and that was exactly where America are really, which is why it was such a uh, an important game to to play them and and their sort of respective past. Dom, just before I let you go, uh, I began this podcast talking about the men's Euro twenty twenty four qualifying draw. Just wondered your your quick thoughts on it. Yeah, I think ultimately a very tough group. England are in a five-team group rather than a six-team group, which means which means they don't get to play one of Europe's really worst sides, one of the one of the worst seeds. Which I think this year there were only three of them. It's a bit of a blessing, really. I think, isn't it? Well, I think so. Yeah, not if you want to see you know 
basically England under 21 players make yeah. their debuts and, and maybe score the odd goal. But but in the grand scheme of things, again, you, similar to the Wiegmann point, you don't learn from that. So so no San Marino or Liechtenstein or or anyone like that for England. But yeah, hard group. I mean, obviously the, the story is that they're drawn with Italy again, who they've played a lot in, in, in recent years. Of course, Italy caused them heartache in the Euros final. It's wasted breath me saying that. Everyone knows that. But it'd be interesting to see how they match up again. Ukraine as well, who England hammered in the quarterfinal of the Euros in Rome last summer. But but really, I think the feeling that day was that 4-0 was absolutely not a fair reflection of the game. I, th- I think England had maybe six shots on target in that game. And that, that That's not t- uh, totally accurate, but it's, it was around mm, that. Yeah. Um, and Ukraine actually played reasonably well in that game. So another tough opposition. And of course, it, it, in light of, of current circumstances, they'll be really motivated um, to, to try and do something in that group. And then also North Macedonia, who, who qualified through the back door of the UEFA Nations League for the Euros. Um, and stopped Italy qualifying for the the upcoming World Cup in Qatar and Malta, who who are a side that most teams should beat, but but very few teams actually hammer. You know, not many teams thrash Malta; they they no. just they just beat them. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure England will necessarily set the set set the continent alight with goals, but I think they should qualify. The top two will qualify automatically, and the and and the very best of the of the third placed sides, um, sort of the best maybe half of the third place sides go through to the playoffs. Um, so even if England had a disastrous campaign, I, I couldn't see them finishing lower than third, really, when when I'm sure they'd they'd be able to get a playoff place. But 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 a hard group because of the of the five teams, four of them were at the last Euros. And that's um that's certainly the only the only group where that's the case. Dom, thank you very much as always. We'll catch up with you again soon. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. As always, many thanks to Dom for joining us. You can find him over at englandfootball.org and on Twitter at Mr. Dom Smith. Thanks as always for listening. It is always appreciated. I hope you can join me again soon when I'll be bringing you some more England content. In fact, I think we'll drop another in our England at the World Cup series next. So stay subscribed and you won't miss it. So until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.